The Drum Candy Podcast is brought to you by Drum Factory Direct. What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode seven of season two of the Drum Candy Podcast. This is your host, Mike Dawson, coming to you from Drum Factory Direct in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. This week is a special episode. We're going to do these every once in a while. Uh, If you were listening to last season, we did a few 10 Reasons to Love series with my buddies David Throckmorton and Tom Went. We're going to continue that in season two. We're going to have these as separate, completely separate episodes and no segments. They're just going to be their own thing, 10 Reasons to Love. This week, we are doing 10 Reasons to Love Tony Williams. Tony Williams is arguably one of the greatest drummers of all time, certainly one of the most innovative and influential jazz drummers of all time, but he also was a pioneer in fusion, a great band leader and a composer. He was born in 1945. He passed away at a a very young age, unfortunately, in 1997. But in the span of those, what is that, 52 years? His career is incredibly diverse and deep. So we go from the whole spectrum from his earliest recordings as a teenager, back when he was discovered by Jackie McLean up in Boston before moving out to New York and then becoming a member of the Miles Davis Quintet, which is infamous, and then branching off to his own bands, the fusion band, and then the 80s and 90s, his um, more composer-based I mean, it's acoustic jazz, but more based on his composition. So this is a fun one. I think all three of us had a hard time picking, which is a testament to just how how great Tony Williams' discography is from start to finish. But let's get into it. So this is 10 Reasons to Love the Great Tony Williams. We've got 10 Reasons to Love Tony Williams. Where the heck do you begin, gents? Um, when he was really young <laughs> right? and super awesome. Yeah, that's a good place to start. And there's a lot to choose from. I, I had a, I had such a hard time choosing stuff. <laughs> Same. His first record was the one you picked. Is that possible? 1963. So yes. he would have been 18. Um, he was he was 17, 17 on this. Yeah. His birthday's in December, December 12th, I think. Which is nuts. And then to think he passed away in 90. Seven. Yep, I was a senior in high school. Fifty-two years old. That's terrifying. Golly. And it was that kind of a, it was a fluke how he died, which is even more tragic and sad. He sh- he shouldn't have died. That's that's kind of the end result of that. Was it a botched surgery or something? I, if I remember correctly, he was having a. I think he had some sort of very routine surgery, like his appendix or something. And he, I think he had a, 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 a was it gallbladder? It might have been gallbladder. I mean, I, I don't know. I'll he had, <laughs> I think he had a bad reaction to one of the medicines they used or something. It's horrible. And he died in the hospital, which is even more crazy. He was only fifty-two. Is that right? Yeah. That's just sad Scary. as all heck. It's terrible, man. He, it was <clears throat> really bad. But the music he put out in those fifty-two years is he put enough music out for hundred and fifty-two years, right? You know. It's amazing. So I was looking at our, our choices. We we covered everything but the 70s and 80s, which was interesting. No. One one, one of my choices is the 80s, 89. Is it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then maybe it came out in 90? It could have come out in 90. Okay. So we largely skipped the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's interesting. Yeah, I couldn't think. I mean, for me, the 80s was just so weird for, for jazz music anyway that I, I couldn't. I can't listen to those records. Like the uh, VSOP records and that stuff. See, I love his quintet from the 80s, though. I understand about that, but I, I love the quintet he had in the 80s. Who know? was in that band? Wallace, Wallace Rooney, Billy, Billy Pierce, Pierce. Mulgrew, Ira. usually Ira Coleman, mm. Charnett Moffat played. Yeah, that stuff's killing. I am I lean super heavily on the really? little boy Tony. Like, Me too. Me too. I mean, I think I think a lot of people do. Some people love Giant Kit Tony and Black Dot Tony, and and it's I say the same shit every time. It's it's like it's really cool. I'm just I like what I like. Uh, no, I, I can't help too. it. And I, I like Young Tony, Four Piece Gretsch Kit Tone, Two Symbols Tony. I, I totally feel the same. The, I think the one reason why I like the '80s quintet was. The first Tony recording I heard was Seven Steps to Heaven because my dad had that record, and I love that. But Yeah, I think that's the first thing I heard as well. Really? That's interesting. But for me, right after that, I have a cousin 
who lives in Boston. He's a doctor, but he's also he also plays drums and he's into jazz. And for my, I think it was my fourteenth birthday, he gave me Angel Street on cassette. Oh, dope! Mm. So I heard that very, very young. So I and, and I was like, wow, this these tunes are great, and you know, yeah, it was really like I just really like the music. So I think that's why I kind of have a little bit of a love for for. for I have group. a soft spot for that band. <clears throat> His you know, writing well. is so great. I mean, the tunes are great. It was a great band, and nobody could play that music like that on the drums and make no. it work. I yeah. mean, nobody no. could do that. Yeah. You know? So it's unique in that that respect. He's playing those giant sticks too. Oh I my know. god! Yeah, it's incredible. Like loud, like bright cymbals. Brushes on a black dot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Odd but but it, it sounds great when he does it. It does it's sound amazing. cool. So the first thing I heard with Tony, I was on a field trip in seventh grade to Annapolis, Maryland, and I went to the gift shop, and they had those like gold collection records yeah. yep. whatever they were it was a bootleg of the miles quintet from europe and then i got a coltrane bootleg i have a gold collection coltrane right yeah here. and it's the it's love killing. supreme yeah it's love supreme yeah but i was wow. 13 years old and that's what i heard it was like i don't know what the yeah. hell i'm listening to yeah. so it just sent me down a path like this is chaos and i need to know why i should like it yeah, <laughs> yeah. it took me a while to get there i remember after seven steps to heaven i i, I think i bought ESP, which is such a great record, but I remember at that time, I remember listening to it and loving the music, but having absolutely no idea what was happening. I liked it, but I, I couldn't, I didn't know yeah, what Yeah, I have was. a really similar thing to that. Uh, like, I haven't had many jobs in my life, thankfully, but when I was like 19, I worked at a BP gas station for a couple months. My I mom, didn't know that. My mom worked there, and I, and I worked there, and I usually would work, sometimes I would work this is so stupid I'm talking about this sometimes I work at, like a day shift where my mom would work and I sure. would just like pump gas and clean up and stuff but sometimes I would work this night shift and there was no one ever there Yeah. and I would just like practice on a pad and listen to music all night oh and that's I, cool and I, and I like that about it where am I going with this story? You're talking about Tony? yeah um, oh and my dad would pick me up I didn't have my license I got my license kind of late yeah I did too and my dad picked me up like really early in the morning like 5 o'clock one time and was driving me home and he put on what was the Tony Moa station? Q, D-U-Q? D-U-Q. And they had Nefertiti on. Really? I was like 18 or 19. That Butch Perkins was on then. He probably played that. And I, I it was like kind of, and I was already getting, I had heard some Tony stuff and Elvin and, and whatnot, but it was like way over my head. Yeah. At 19, I was like. What is that? I was like, this is kind of dark and weird. Mm-hmm. And I was confused. And I remember just, <laughs> and maybe I was tired because I was up all night. <laughs> but then like a year later, I bought that record and just totally fell in love with it. Like yeah. like a year later, yeah. it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, this is amazing. <clears throat> I remember when I heard Seven Steps to Heaven, the drum solo, which is great. I remember it took me a minute to figure out he was playing over the form. Mm-hmm. And when I figured that out, I was like, wow, that's awesome yeah. like i had never heard a drummer do that before and it yeah. took me a minute i was like man that sounds so great how did they know when to come in and then i realized like oh wait a minute <laughs> and it was like wow that's yeah. really cool well, we're definitely going to listen to that that's good my first choice yeah beautiful have you guys checked out the the bootleg rehearsal yes yeah yes. i love how those tunes start out like they don't know what the hell they're doing yep. Yep. like a it's freedom really jazz cool. dance freedom mm-hmm. jazz he's yeah. trying to tell tony what to do and tony's yeah. like, i can't i can't play triplets. i can't play it that fast <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like elvin he said something like play it like mm-hmm. elf <laughs> or like blakey i think did he said what did he say elvin he said elvin well they might said both of them yeah but he definitely I said can't elvin. Remember. i haven't heard that in a while and but i remember those thinking are great. tony was probably like man don't tell me what to play don't tell me how to play like elvin or, or boo. Well, let's kick it off with Jackie McLean, One Step Beyond, Blue Rondo. This is your pick, right? This is my pick. Why'd yeah. you choose this one? I'm going to cue it up here. So, I, you know, like like Dave, I, I love the, the earlier Tony stuff, especially the Blue Note records, when he's not playing with Miles. Um, and... I chose this, you know, I, I, I could have picked almost any clip from any of these records because they're all so uniquely great and wonderful. But the reason I chose this clip, this is a blues, and he's just playing behind Jackie's solo. And I thought that this was sort of a, a nice example of just sort of how he plays in general, so to speak. Now, that's that's a little loaded for someone like Tony. But he's not doing anything quote-unquote special. He's just playing and comping. It's active. But the thing I love about it is 
you can really hear how swinging he was and how beautiful his cymbal beat was. I feel like so many young drummers, that's kind of the last thing they find out about Tony. They're so into all the angular explosions and his, you know, which are, are amazing. But just hearing him play just behind a soloist in sort of a general way is incredible. And especially at that age. I mean, I think the thing that's most amazing about the earlier part of his career was he obviously played the instrument really well. That's enough to be impressed by. But for me, and I'm, I'm sure it's the same for you guys, his artistic choices at that age are kind of incredible. Yeah, it's, you know? it's completely mind-blowing. I mean, I'm 43, and if I could play, if I could make those kind of choices now, yeah. I would be, I would be, I would, I would love it. Yeah. So for someone that age to to have that artistic maturity at that level is just, it's really amazing. So yeah. that's kind of why I chose it. Chose right. it. Well, let's listen to it. <laughs> So, I mean, you know, it's, again, I mean, the, the, the other thing about these records that I think is, is important to point out, especially for younger folks who might be listening, is when I hear that, I hear the entire history of jazz drumming up to that point. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times when, when younger drummers learn about Tony, they learn that, oh, he was this incredible phenom at 17 playing with Miles. Tony worked his butt off. You it's know, obvious. Yeah. I mean, you know, he was obviously prodigiously talented, but he said in multiple interviews, like when from the time he was about 10 until the time he was about 15, 16, he was practicing hours and hours a day. And you can hear that and you can hear that he's he's listened to everybody, mm-hmm. you know. So it's he wasn't some freak of nature who just appeared. He was very talented, but he I put mean, that I, work in. I, I feel like anyone that plays on a super high level... Like, Absolutely, it just doesn't happen. No, of course, you know. Course. And a lot of people think, "Oh, you, you know, this person's so gifted, or you're so gifted." And that's maybe there's a little of that going around, but it's I, hard work. I think it's all, it's all work. It is, you know. And I think that's that's. And people make the mistake, like, not to get too sidetracked, but like, you know, oh, if you take a lesson, a lesson with this guy, you're going to be amazing. It's like you're going to be amazing if you work on if it. If you work really your hard, off, yeah. take ten years to figure out what they just showed you. Exactly. <clears throat> You know, people think they're gonna leave that one lesson and have and there's, so gonna there's be some a magic, magic key. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like that doesn't happen like that. Yeah, man. I had took so many years of lessons and it was a great conversation, but none of it ended up going into me <laughs> because I just didn't, I didn't chase it the right way. Yeah, I was still working on books separate of what the teacher was telling me, just dumb teenager stuff. You see, but you, we all have our own weird path that we have to. Yeah, and that's what makes it, it beautiful. That's yeah. why none of us play the, exactly the same. Totally. And I think Tony, you know, that that's you you can hear all that study, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I was I think I told you when when I met the great Bobby Hutcherson, we were talking about the Eric Dolphy Out to Lunch record. And what he told me, and this was kind of mind blowing, he said, if you would have walked into Van Gelder's studio when they were recording that, you would have thought it was Tony's record. Because mm. he was the one sort of suggesting and sort of directing. And he was the youngest guy. Interesting. He also said that back then Tony was one of the first jazz musicians that he knew who was inter- who was interested in what's now called world music, music from different cultures, music from India, m- music from different countries in Africa. Hmm. You know, he was into that back then, which it just furthers, you know, how what a devoted student he was of just music, you know. Yeah. And you can hear that. So much to say. My I'm going to point out a, a nerdy thing. His early records he resolves in the end of four almost every four eight bars. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Uh, Which I think uh, is a, a great thing to point frequent out. Frequent for sure. Yeah. You know? It's almost yeah. every time. And I tell that with like students who want to like play like this, like just k- key in on that one thing, <laughs> and then figure out how to do that, and then 
figure out the rest. I don't know. It's one thing I observed, especially on these early sure these early records. All right, we're going to go to what I think is the perfect chorus, <laughs> um, which is Seven <laughs> Steps to Heaven. It's absolutely a perfect 32 bars. It's like a, uh, a hole-in-one or a perfect game. It's like <laughs> we'll see immaculate reception. There so this go. is off of Seven Steps to Heaven. I don't know how this was. Was this recorded, I guess, after the the Jackie record? Uh, they were pretty close, but y- yeah, I think so. So it's a 32-bar form. I think it's just perfection. I mean, there again, the artistic maturity, you know, it's his use of space and the melodic sense. It's all there. You know, it's really, it's, it's beautiful to listen to. That whole record for me is, I mean, I wish he played on the whole thing. That's a weird one, right? Because half of yeah. it is. Um, I love Frank Butler, though. Yeah. The West Coast. Is, if you ever heard the outtakes of that where they play um, Joshua real slow? No. But, <laughs> oh, it's killing. It's really great. I think you were saying earlier how. You had a hard time picking yeah. these. We've talked about that in the other ones. Like, yeah, some some were easy. Yeah. Like, I think you said Blakey was hard. Yeah, Blakey was hard. And this was one like, was, was super easy. easy for Jack me. was super easy for me, but this was Tony was really hard. I, I called you freaking out yesterday. Yeah. Like, I can't pick from this stuff. <laughs> like, how do you expect me to do this? So I was like listening to all this Tony, and um, and all I just kept thinking was like, it's all just so amazing. Yeah, and. uh I talk about this all the time with musicians and drummer friends and stuff. It's like, I tell Thomas recently, it's like certain bands, like the Coltrane Quartet's like this for me, and I realize it with, with the second Mouse Quintet. It's like, if I let myself listen to it, it's like all I want to hear. Mm. I could go on like a rabbit hole of just like 18 months could go by, like I, it's all I would want to listen to. <laughs> and, it, and it reminds me, it always makes me not over listen to it. You know, like, it was just probably stupid. But I was freaking out yesterday and all this stuff. And I was talking to my my oldest son about how, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to pick these tunes for this thing about Tony. And we're talking about it. And I was talking about Miles. And just saying everything from that group. How, like, you know, like, this all goes past the drumming. Like, the band is amazing. The, the, the music is amazing. The, the listening that's happening how they all played together, all these things we talk about and all these. And I was trying to explain to Ross, like, well, you know, man, Miles, like, just kept changing jazz. And, like, he's, he just kept reinventing jazz. So I was explaining that to him. So I played him some early stuff, then I played him some slightly later stuff. We're just sitting in my living room. He had heard Kind of Blue before, and he loves it. And I started playing him some other stuff with Jimmy Cobb, and then I put him some stuff with Tony. And as soon as he heard one of the things I picked... Is that the first one? Yeah. Yes. No, 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 it's not. It's uh, the one after it's that. this. But um, when he heard it, it was funny, like, because he, he loves music, period. Right. He doesn't know a ton about jazz. You know, he'd sure. be, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure if I know a ton about jazz. Yeah, you do. But as soon as Ross heard it, he said, it's so bouncy. And I'm like, yeah, it's like there's that that's, symbol, man. That's it's right. like that's it's just bouncing group. like crazy. And it's like, I feel the same way what you said about like pe- people, they focus on all the like excitement and all the, right. you know, explosions and all this stuff. But that, that's what I was getting yesterday. It's just like, man, listen to that. Oh, he had one of the most beautiful cymbal beats. Roy Haynes used to talk about that. It's, like the first time he heard yeah. him. Because they're both from mm-hmm. Boston. Mm-hmm. And he was like, man, you know. You know, another thing I forgot to mention about the, the, the One Step Beyond record, that band... That's how Tony got to New York, was with Jackie mm. and that band. That was a working band. And there's a, there's a gentleman here in Pittsburgh who has a, an organization called Kinte Arts Alliance. His name's Mensa Wali, who's a, a really wonderful older gentleman who lived in New York all through 
the 50s and 60s. The very first time that band played in New York, he was there. They, wow. they, they played a loft concert. Jackie didn't have a cabaret card at that time. And they played at like a loft concert. And he said everybody was there to hear Tony. Mingus, Art Blakey, <laughs> Miles. Because they, they had all heard about this kid from Boston who Jackie had hired. Wow. And he, he was him. there. <laughs> and he said, it was, he said it was amazing, you know. Well, let's go to your, your pick from that record, the um, Miles Davis in concert, all of you. We'll go out of order. Okay. Yeah, we'll go back yeah, to the other cool. one. <clears throat> so this, I'm glad you, you chose this. You picked yeah. this for that, for the ride beat. I, it, almost all of what I picked is has something to do with that. Yeah. I mean, there's a tune that's where he's just playing solo drums. But I think, like all the guys I really love in general that play jazz, it, for me, it, that always kind of always comes back to that. I mean, there's people that don't have... There's guys I really like that maybe their ride simple thing isn't their total strength. But most of the guys at the top of my mm. list, they all play the shit out of the symbol, you know? Well, and I'm still trying to, I mean, I'm, and it just always re- keeps reminding me to like, man, like that's what it's all about. You know, before you, know? you guys came over, because I was so dejected about not being able to swing quietly from mm-hmm. that gig, I, <laughs> I just played like a half hour ride symbol. Before you guys get here, I yeah. can't play quiet with no earplugs in. Like, can I do this anymore? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you can do it. So man. frustrating. Sometimes there's <laughs> other factors. <laughs> There's a lot of. Those. I also love how he only comes. He, they come in on like the two or the three sometimes on this mm-hmm. record. Oh, yeah. So let's check it out. This is all of you. We're starting around four minutes and forty seconds in. <laughs> You know, he to me he makes it sound like easy. I could do that. Yeah. You know, it make, it's so clear. Like I could play like that. <laughs> There's something with his touch too, man. Like the yeah. the, the way he uh, can I turn me? How do I turn myself down without? Your number three right yeah. here. I just feel like I have a loud mouth. Anyway, uh, <laughs> if you guys can't hear me, you can turn it back up. No, we got you. <laughs> There's this like, I don't know, man. It's like I always use that word with these guys. Like there's this magic with him. Like every time he hits the snare drum, I, mean, I get it. I understand how this stuff works, but like he's just better at it than most people. <laughs> he he, he gets so many like little tiny different colors, different new, and nuances absolutely. and colors out of yep. these rim shots and non rim shots. Yep. Yeah. It's, it freaks me out. It's to be that young. I know. Yeah. I mean, I think it freaks everyone out. Everyone knows all sure. this, but how yeah. great he is. If he you still can really wasn't even 20 years old when this... Yeah, no. it's made. ridiculous. Yep. And, like, the sound of the... I just go crazy. The sound of the bass drum, the sound of the snare drum, all the left foot stuff. You know, it, it bounces like crazy. Yeah, yeah. Hearing yeah. that, like, you can hear how much Jack oh, was totally. into that. It's, like, it's so apparent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, you know, another thing about this period... And this band, I've talked with several people who saw this group live multiple times, pre Wayne or even counting the band Count, Wayne. counting Wayne. Yeah, and each one of them has said that Tony never overplayed volume wise. Mm-hmm. You know, which I think a lot of younger drummers they hear that and they think it's this ultra like super aggressive loud, and it wasn't. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he was playing very acoustically. I mean, yeah, yeah you know, the, there was a lot of dynamics in the band, but. The people who heard that band that I've talked to have said that, no, you could always hear the bass and the piano. You know, he was never... Wow. Which, again, it goes to that musicality. 
You know? How about the, those European date stuff? I feel like he had an attitude or something. Like he, he he's kind of destroying the drums on those European dates. Well, there's some of that on, on four and more <laughs> because they, they were not exactly happy they weren't getting paid that night. <laughs> Is that what it was? That, that was an NAACP benefit, and Miles didn't tell them that they were donating their, uh. their services until right before the gig. And they were like, wait a minute, what? That's why he's got a chip on his shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's the commonly held okay. story. I wasn't there. but <laughs> Well, we got another one of yours, Dave. We got Air Raid. Yes. Why'd you pick this record? How do you pronounce this artist's name? I, I, I kind of know, but ask Tom. Grashen Moncourt. Grashen? Grashen Is it Grashen? Grashen. I always thought it was Grashen, but anyway. Yeah, some people call him Grashen. His father yeah. was Grashen Moncourt II, who was a, a very good bass player from the swing era. Yeah, I so he, he, he came he, he came from a musical family. Well, like, all my stuff is all young, four-piece Gretsch kit, Tony. You know, that's just, I just can't get enough. And um, we talk about these albums a lot, like the Jackie record, the Creation records, yeah. the Andrew Hill record, like the Eric Dolphy record. Like there's, because there's all the everyone knows the Mal stuff for the most part. But there's not a there's not a ton of these. You know, you have the Herbie stuff. There's the Soothsayer. There's yep. Una Moss. You know, like there's a, you know my point of view. There's a couple Vertigo, other ones. Yeah, yeah th- th- totally. But like these are kind of weird little. Oh, they're so great records, and they're so cool and mm. different. You know, he, um, he plays. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, you're not. I mean, to my ear, he plays very differently than he does does with Miles. The music's just so so different. That's true. You know, that's true. And the and like the well, yesterday, I was realizing like how different the the Miles studio stuff is recorded and sounds versus the Blue Note stuff. Absolutely. And they're both really cool, mm-hmm. but very you know? different. Because I I'll, I'll talk. Never. I'll say this. Say this other thing for another track, but let's yeah, let's hear this. Check it out. This is Air Raid. Left foot shit. It's so <clears throat> the, the 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 like point on it. Precision. It's, yeah, it's so yep. crisp and quick and clear. And it's all almost the, all right it. symbol. You're right. Like mm-hmm. he's he's leading with the right hand. Yeah, and it's nice hearing him play with different bass players too. Because you totally. hear there's so much with Ron. It's nice to hear different guys. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. He. Forks Drum Closet, Nashville's full line drum store. Celebrating its 40th year in business, Forks is independently owned and operated in the heart of Music City. Specializing in drums and percussion, Forks offers great discounts on all major brands and will beat any retailer's advertised price. From new and used equipment, vintage drums, and marching and orchestral instruments, Forks has something for every drummer. They also offer professional rental, repair, and restoration services, as well as drum lessons. Stop by their storefront at 308 Chestnut Street in Nashville, Tennessee, or call 615-383-8343, or go online at ForksDrumCloset.com. Was he the first, I'm thinking this is 1964, was anyone leaving the left foot out like that up to that till this point? Because he wasn't really keeping time with it at all in that chunk. Uh, you know, to my, I don't know what Throck would think, but I think in 64, I think the only drummer who might have been even approaching that would have been Roy. Roy. I was thinking Roy, too. But I don't know know if he had gotten there yet. Not He did it differently than Tony, but I think conceptually he was moving towards the same direction of using the hi-hat more as not not so much a function, but as just another voice for comping. Yeah. You know? I don't think he played two and four at all during that minute. 
No, not there. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he, you sure. know, there's obviously the quarter note thing he does mm-hmm. a lot too. There were a few other drummers like Jack know, a little later. Obviously, Jack a little was, later. You know, guys like J.C. Moses, um, um, Ed Blackwell, but he, his thing was totally different, mm-hmm. really. So I mean, nobody was really doing that. Ed not doing it like not what like he that. did with it. Right. You know. Right. Little Roy bits, Jack, like I think of, kind of had some of that stuff. I so. hear a lot of Jack. Now you mentioned it, that could have been Dejanette, really. Yeah, there's. A, I mean, you can tell it's not, but I know what you mean. It's mm-hmm. like it's like I, I I listen to so much Jack, and when I go back to early Tony, I can, I just keep hearing more of that connection. It's mm-hmm. like wow, man, it's so so killing. Yeah, Jack was kind of a natural, you know, sort of the next thing, you mm-hmm. know, because Tony was so his artistic voice was so strong. I mean, you can't help but be influenced by that. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. You know, yeah. guys like Jack and Lenny White and, you know, there was that whole school that sort of came right after Tony who they had everything that came before Tony and then Tony. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. So it's it's sort of na- a natural evolution. And like you're saying, like it, every, everyone sounds different. Totally. You know? Yeah. Like Al, you hear early Al Foster, like it just... It sounds like Al Foster, like a young Al Foster. Sure. But, like, you know he heard all this stuff, but everybody sounds so different, you know? I hear – I don't hear – I hear more of the early guys and Al's playing. Yeah, me too. Arthur Taylor, Lex Humphreys, guys like that. I don't – I hear more of those guys than Tony. Then, yeah. There's definitely influence sure. there. Who picked uh, ESP? Mood. Me. That's me. All right. So this is the Miles Davis second quintet. Yeah. I had 1965. You can correct me if that's... I think that's correct. So why'd you pick this track? This is an interesting track. And it's called Mood, and that's a perfect title because that's basically all the tune is. It's, it's, it has this static quality that the, the, the soloists are improvising over. But I chose this because... Well, we'll let's, let's, play, the, let's play it, and then I'll, I'll talk all about right. it. out of context it's like a whole new experience for me yeah because yeah. <laughs> normally i listen to the whole record right? yeah <laughs> so the reason i chose that was first of all that that little groove he's playing is really cool mm-hmm. stick in a brush which is rare for 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 him to do something like that but the other thing that's cool is this this tune is over eight minutes long he does not deviate from that at <laughs> all so we've been hearing all this beautiful creativity and but there again, to his artistic sensibilities, he doesn't deviate from that groove, and it lets it create it sustains that mood mm-hmm. for the whole tune, and it just shows again what a what a beautiful artist he was. He he could hear and feel that, like the way that tune is set up. He could have done a bunch of other things, but he didn't, mm-hmm. and it was the right musical choice. For me, that's that's such a huge part of his earlier recordings is those choices he makes. You know, they're so mature and they they fit the tune so well. So I, I just I've always liked that little groove that he plays. And when I went back and listened to it, I was like, wow, man, he's really he he gets it. Like he mm-hmm. understands what the tune really needs. It's it's sort of foreshadows in in a, in, in a small way some of the great studio drummers in the seventies who would just lay that groove down and not deviate from it, and it literally makes the whole tune happen. That's yeah. And that's, that's kind of yeah. what this does on this. It's like a know? Ringo influence or something almost. Almost. Yeah. You know, there's a beautiful simplicity in it, you know. Well, the next one is not that. It's, uh, it's <laughs> Echo <laughs> off of <laughs> his oh, solo record spring. You chose this one? Yeah, I mean, we, we talked yesterday, and you were like, why don't you pick a fourth one? Yeah. So, I, And I, um, I talked to our buddy Paul Wells yesterday, and... He's like, well, I would pick this, 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 and this. Of course. And I'm like, well, man, I don't want to start like being influenced by your stuff, but because I was I was talking earlier about the difference between the the Columbia recordings and the you know the Sony whatever yeah. and, the, and the Blue Note stuff. And um, I had agitation on yesterday, and I was like, man, I haven't I hadn't heard that for a while. Yeah. And I was like, man, I forgot the way like just the sound. I was like, this, these sound so different than 
Blue Note records, which I, which I probably listened to more of. Mm, yeah. And I was like, man, I almost want to pick this because it's just like fresh to my ears, you know. Yeah. And um, but I ended up going back to this because it's awesome. It is. <laughs> I mean, they're all awesome, you know. There's another track on the Gracian Malcore, that tune called um, Nomadic. Nomadic, yeah. Where he's kind of soloing a bunch. It's like yeah. that same kind of vibe. That's on some other stuff, right? The set, yeah, the one with Herbie. With Herbie, and, yeah. yeah. And Wayne. But, uh, yeah, it's a weird little tune, or piece, you mm. know, just solo drumming. It's like, what's it, five minutes in total yeah. or five-something? And I just took the first little bit. And they, he goes through these different little sections kind of where there's silence and like a new it's just i don't know how to even explain it i mean i can't explain it this was actually he just sounds good oh i know know. this was an early one for me too because after i had listened to seven steps to heaven and esp and angel street i remember seeing that in the record store and i was like oh that's one of his early i'll get that i remember listening to it and being like it's yeah totally different wow (laughs) you know there's something about like the way he plays like when he's playing just both sticks and the snare drum and not playing the rest of the kit, sometimes it sounds like he's really just exploring, just like, yeah. let me see what happens. And it's like, because you know he can play rudiments and like a double stroke roll and a single stroke roll. Sometimes it sounds like he's just letting the sticks fall a little bit and seeing, mm. let me see what happens. Then I'll make a little piece out of that. And I, and I, I love that because he's not BSing. It's like he mm. has all this command. But he's willing to just be creative, be creative, and just see what happens. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, I agree. It's a great little part. games you play. Like, let me. Here's a little sound. I think it's interesting. He made this record while he was in Miles's band. Yeah, like why feel compelled to make another record? All those guys <laughs> in the know? band though were making all this they were. killing stuff during yeah. that period. Yeah, let's check it out. Mm-hmm. This is Echo. And we could go all day. I wish this whole record was solo drums. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't mind hearing that as well. I mean, I love the record as a whole. Um, it, it is a great record. There's something about, like, people talk about, like, we've been busting your balls a little bit about the Gretsch drums thing. Well, I have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, like, there's, you know, the great Gretsch sound kind of thing. I mean, like, there's something to that, man. You there know, is. and totally whether you're hearing, like, Blakey or like all these Elvin all these guys and how you tune is going to change it there's something about like the simplicity of even though a lot goes into making these recordings sound good but it's it's just a really real sound there's no like it's not like a pop record where you're making it into like a you're creating a new like the way Steve Gadstrom's Mm -hmm. and I you know I love Steve Gadstrom I'm not ripping on anything after that or the guys I grew up hearing MTV bands and Mm -hmm. Wackle Al, Al Jackson, guys. but but like, you know, there's something about no muffling. You know, coded ambassadors. <laughs> I'm going to say that and, might and, be a single-headed rack tom, though. Well, it, I doubt it is, but it, it, it does. I don't it think does, it is. His rack tom in this period sometimes gets a little of that dead kind of sound. Yeah, a little yeah bit. no, it totally but, did. But like, you can hear. I've played drums like this so much, like it's. That's the sound. And there's something to it, man. It's almost like like if you tried to put me behind the wheel of like a race car, like I can't drive that. Thing. <laughs> it's wild it's a wild animal, you right. know? And I think drummers 
they get spoiled by moon gels and towels and tape and pinstripes and all this shit mm-hmm. that we've all played. And, it's, and that's cool. And I'm not saying that this sound is right for a rock record or a pop record no, or a country record, but there's something about having to control the 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 wild, you know, lion that is a, a drum set that sounds like this. What a play! That I, th- I thrive on that. It's like of course to, to, to learn to control it. Of course, Get, like there's all these sounds. What can you do with them? That's right. what I'm talking about with Tony earlier. The, of course, the way he's getting all this stuff out of the snare drum and the bass drum and the cymbals. Well, it's you get, have to you have to have control. You have to have a real sound, and you have to be able to draw the sound out of the instrument. I mean, that's I've had so many older guys, you know, say to me like, you know, you can you don't know what kind of drummer you're dealing with until he or she plays a drum set like that. Totally. And I think there's something to that. I mean, all those other sounds you, it is makes great. you have to figure it out. Of course. Mm, so, yes. and I'm not shitting on anybody. I mean, I am in a way, <laughs> but 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 like cuz I love playing some dead drums sometimes and playing a groove. It's sure. killing. But I see so many people with a hundred moon gels and rings and two right. triple ply heads, ply heads yeah. you know what I mean? I always say triple ply because I'm not even sure if they really exist. There's one. There's <laughs> it's just, one. It's just I like <laughs> sticking it to them, like. Yeah. And then what those what that does, and I'm not trying to be the teacher, but in a way, I can't. <laughs> just I talk, am. man. Just talk. It, it's like people want to like hit the drum and all their sloppiness. They want it to sound the same mm. no matter where they hit it because exactly. they have no control. Right. For me, with a cymbal or a drum, most of the time, I want as much options as I can have. I don't never want it to be like I hit the drum in 20 places and it just goes, duh. Right. You know? Do you it's play your Yamahas different than your Gretches? Not really. So they no. give the same? They have a different vibe, but but, but um, no, not really. I mean, if I'm playing like fusion music, tuning low, and I'll muffle a little bit, you know, but but never like super dead but if i've been on sessions where people want a specific thing and mm. i'm happy to do it if especially if it's for just some that's different that's an yeah. artistic thing yeah i mean you're what, what you're talking about is being able to play the instrument completely it's an instrument you got to get sound out of it how do you produce so many young drummers it's all about what am i playing and not how am i playing therefore right. what sound am i getting you know? yeah and and we talked that's about important i talked about earlier like the guys at the top of my list want to hear that control of the symbol the same thing goes with the guys top my list like take away what they're playing right and what does it sound like what's Mm. the sound they all have a sound and control yep and that's what it comes down to for me you know well if you think about horn players they'll stand in a corner and play long tones and just focus on their sound mm -hmm. drummers are like you know how can i interject this you know it's for so many of them, I think sound is the last thing they're thinking of. But that's the first thing you hear. Of course. That's the whole thing. Of course. <laughs> you know? Of it's course. Like, it's like someone's voice, you know? Yes. And I think th- that's how I feel about any artist. It's like, mm. man, do they have a good sound? Saxophone player, guitar player, bass player, rapper, whatever. It's like, I want to hear your sound. Well, man, you know. And your, and your you know, your inflection and of your course. rhythm. I remember Charlie Rouse. There's that great interview with Charlie Rouse, and he's, he says... You know, in my day, nobody cared what you play. They they wanted to hear what kind, what was your sound. Yeah. Did you have a sound on your instrument? Yeah. And that's what you're talking about. Totally. Man, I got to sit in on a Mickey Roker's kit a bunch when I lived in Philly. <laughs> you want to talk about a magic trick? Yep. He yep. made that thing sound so beautiful. Yep. And then wow. It was like pin pinstripe yep. heads. Yeah. Just a regular Zildjian medium ride. You know, he like, sh- he actually showed me how to, he showed me how to muffle a bass drum with one piece of newspaper once, <laughs> how to fold it. Yeah, and I remember he was playing a, a backline kit with some very clangy A's. Yeah, and like you just said, like Guitar Center A's. And when he played, it sounded <laughs> it sounded wonderful. Yeah, and it was because he has a sound. Yeah, know? he knows how to get. Well, the sound I mean, out of it. and I'm not Mickey Roker, I'm not Tony Williams, but I've been doing a bunch of these festivals recently mm-hmm. my symbols got lost for a while yeah. so i've been kind of forced to everybody. been forced to been pl- playing a bunch of backline symbols and i haven't got anything really good but i haven't got anything totally terrible where where i'm like okay i'm gonna start bringing my symbols because mm-hmm. my now my attitude is i'm just playing with whatever's there yeah. and what a it's way easier <laughs> not having to worry about worry about stuff. it yeah. but the first gig i played backline symbols they were pretty terrible <laughs> and i heard 
like a clip on uh, I was playing with Dan Wilson I heard like he posted a little clip or somebody posted something and I was like it just sounds like me playing the drums mm-hmm. right? like it still sounds like me I can hear it instantly well, sure there's a snare drum and Tom's right. playing a Gretsch kit but it's like the symbol it's you know like the Roger Humphreys line it's yep. not the horse it ain't the horse it's the jockey right. you know or what does someone say it's not the gun it's the gunner you know it's like man and I'm not I'm not saying I have it like these legends, no, man. but it sounds like me, right? You yeah. know, it's yeah. not. But the, that's the truth. It's not though. the the pinstripes or the right, right. The right. A medium ride. <laughs> you know, there was a story. I think I'm not sure if this is. I think it was Adam Adam Nussbaum was doing a tour over in Japan, and Mel Lewis was on the same tour. I think it was Adam, and he was complaining about the backline kits. And Mel said, "If you play like you, you'll sound like you, <laughs> no matter what you're playing." Yeah. and that's what you're talking about. Yeah, he's right. Well, you know, when I interviewed. Paul Thompson for the podcast. That was one of the questions. Like, do you care about gear? He's like, I do not give. I do not yeah. give a crap what you're bringing. Don't show me your new symbol. Yeah. I don't yeah. care. Yeah. Well, that was the thing too. It's like I knew instantly these guys. They they felt bad that my symbols were lost. Right. But they just know it's me, and I'm going to play like me. Mm. Right. They don't. They don't hear the difference. Right. Yep. And I talked to Glenn about it. He's like, yeah, I, I hear guys all the time, all oh, my reads are messed up, or I don't like this amp. Yep. The guitar player's bitching about the amp, yep. or, or the action's too high on this bass. Yep. He's like, it just it just sounds like the guy. It sounds like and a I bass. Agree. Yeah, and No, it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard for us to, to hear that when a bass player's like, oh, my sound is terrible. You're like... Sounds it, like low notes. It sounds like a bass. <laughs> I say that all the time to people. Sure. Like Paul got a new bass a few years ago. Yep. He came and started playing. I'm like, sounds like Paul. Sounds Thompson. like you, yeah. Ben just bought that Grafton, I think yep. it's called, that Ornette Alto. Yep. He showed up at Alphabet City, played two notes. I'm like, sounds like Ben Opie. There you go. <laughs> you know, and it, that's what it is. No, there's something to it. I mean, it really, it's nice to have a good quality instrument, but at the end of the day, it's you. Yeah. You are last the week or two weeks ago, I, I was playing the drums that were in this oh, room, yeah, yeah. and you were upstairs. Within I, a mo- I know it, I knew it was you. And you knew I was here, <laughs> but, but I was playing Mike's drums. He's yeah. like, oh, that sounds like the Dave, Dave, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was dejecting. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to shift into, because those drums don't sound that good when I play them, dude. Uh, I'm sure they sound good, man. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to shift good. into the later stage of, of Tony's career. Um, Nefertiti, I think, was the last eh, it's like the it's not the last midpoint of the the quintet yeah but uh hand jive who chose this me why'd you pick this one well i I felt like somebody needed to pick something off of this record Mm. and and, you know um it could have been any of them in fact i kind of wanted to pick like an alternate take of one of these tunes Mm. they do what is it Pinocchio? They played slow. Yes. And my, it's only just playing the ride symbol nice and yes. Woo, it's killing. Yeah. But I was like, let me just pick something off the actual record. Yeah. And like you were saying, with the tune called Mood, like that's what I hear on this record. And this band in general, like all those records, like whether it's Sorcerer or ESP, yep. there's just this haunting kind of big time mood this that's band why I love has. It. So dark. Yeah. And that's what yeah. my son heard when he heard it. He's like, oh, listen to that. It's like. I forget the word he used, but something like it has saying the same thing. It's yeah. like, wow, listen to that. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, it just takes you on a little bit of a ride. And um, a lot of these tracks, too, like hearing them again, and I've heard them a lot, but you re-listen to something and you, you know, something new always jumps out. It's funny still, even after all the years of hearing Tony and Ron play, I know they shift tempos and slow down and speed up organically and and musically, but and I'm not sure if that happens if we'll get that far into the track, but a lot of these, like, you get two minutes in, and you're like, wow, they're at a new tempo just yeah. out of nowhere. Yep. Yeah. I don't mean, like, radically, like, slow to fast. I mean, like, it just went, went 15 somewhere. beats per minute faster all of a sudden. Yeah. Like, yeah. who who chose and who followed? That's a whole and, other conversation it, I want to have with you guys. Like, yeah. How do you find that relationship where you just go where it needs to go versus someone being like, no, you're speeding up. Yeah. Don't speed up. (laughs) Or don't slow down. Let's try it. Hand jive.
so the whole record, I probably listened to that record more than any of the quintet. Records. Is that right? Yeah. Of the studio stuff, I would I would say the same for me. I think I've listened to ESP a little bit more, but I listen a lot to Nefertiti too. There's there's like a reductionist to it that I love. Like they mm-hmm. removed so many things, so it's just every chord is important. Like there's there's no mess. Even yeah. when I play a lot of notes, which I absolutely love, and it's dark. It feels like still modern. You could he could have made that record today. Yeah, you know? but I don't think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I was talking to Wells a little bit about this record yesterday. It's like, or this band, and it's like, I forget. Who, he was talking to somebody, and, and they said to him, like, "Wells, if I screw this up, don't yell at me." But somebody <laughs> said, like, you know, is it okay to have a band try to play like this? And it's mm-hmm. like, then you just start feeling like, well, what's what's the point? Like, you can never do it like that. Because I've heard bands that try to sound kind of like that. Like Wallace had a record that was really cool and very. Like this well, band. I mean, I mean Winton's first quintet sure, of course. came directly out of that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, what do you, how do you guys react react if you hear a band that that's obviously like maybe they're great players, but it's obviously they're just copying this vibe. I mean, I haven't heard it that much. I mean, like there's like the a couple of those things where it's really yeah, where you're like, oh, they're really going for that. Like like Wallace sticks out to me, and like you said, the Winton stuff, but um. When I hear elements of it, it's sure you might hear like, "Oh, they've these people have checked out that music," but it never really sounds like, and, and that's not a, a knock. Mm-mm. You know, they just have their own way of doing it. But this, there's such a ridiculous uh, instant identity to this band or Coltrane's quartet. Like it's like anything you, you know in a second. Yeah. You know? I think I think that's true. I think I think one one of the reasons that it's like that with this band is one thing Miles was great at was putting bands together mm. totally so i think i think he had such a knack for finding people who would work really well together and i think this is one of the best examples of that so i think that's one reason why it has that mm-hmm. is that these these guys were all very much on the same page and just just doing it i don't i don't have a i think if people are doing it well it's going to sound good mm. sure and it's never good it's never going to be that cuz that's only that Totally, you know. I, but I think you can take that concept and use that. Yeah, and I think sure. if you're if they're all good players and they're approaching it with honesty and and integrity, it can be great. It all depends on how yeah. they do it, you know. All right, we're gonna go into fusion mode. Oh, Tony Williams' lifetime emergency. I chose this because it's a recent. I've had this record since I was I don't know fourteen, fifteen. Hated it, hated it, hated it. I told you like a month ago. It's like my favorite record. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's like a cognac or something. All of a sudden, I'm like, I absolutely love the taste of this poison. Like, That's cool. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I love listening to records that I felt a certain way about for years, and then all of a sudden, they're brand new. That's yeah. That's fun. You know what it was? I didn't pick it. I'm just picking it from the beginning of the record because I feel like it's the whole record is just an experience. But when he's the track where he's singing, yeah, like yeah. I used to think this is really I, I, strange. I really like that track, but I absolutely love it. It's good. It's it's like a weird and you know, I, I don't drink, I don't do any drugs, whatever. But when I hear that track, I feel like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm affected by being. The music is making me like question everything. I'm like, what is what's happening? <laughs> I'm a little scared. It's like this is weird. I agree. You know, it must maybe that's what it's like. You know? But coming out of the gates, they are just blazing. So here it is, emergency from the opening cut. I want to hear Tony with Jimi Hendrix. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's those stories, you know. Yeah. Are there? There's. I mean, I don't yeah. know if it's true or not. Well, I've, he played. I've heard dip, yeah, I heard they played. And, uh, I'm just saying what I've heard from other people. Right. I've heard they played, and it just 
kind of didn't hook up. Like didn't they, they admired each other. Interesting. And they wanted to play together. Didn't work. Who knows if it really happened or yeah, not? It's That's very the, interesting. I think Billy Martin talked about that on one, one of the interviews. I'm not sure if it was the one you did with him. He had heard something similar too. I think they would have figured it out. <laughs> well, never know. Who knows, man? You never know. So that we also skipped over what a lot of. I noticed that like a generation before us, the Vinnies and the Steve Smiths and the Greg Bissonettes, they love the Believe It. That's like oh, their yeah. their origin story is mm-hmm. that record, which I used to really really love, and now I I don't dig it as much anymore. Yeah, I like Little Kit. So mm. I mean, yeah. I can't speak for all those guys, and I know a lot of those guys from that era, adding all different kind of drummers, like kind of early Big Kit Tony. Yeah, I know Vinnie's like. That's his Super, stuff. Well, he's really into all of it. Like, yeah. That's his guy, you know. I can't speak for Vinny, but I just know from being a fan of him, reading articles and, excuse me, he's really into all the Miles stuff and Blue Note stuff as well in, in the early lifetime through all of it, you know, to the very end. You know, that was his... It's hero. a totally, for me, it's a different drummer. I mean, it's the same name, but I don't I don't go to it for as a Tony experience. It's a totally different thing for me. Yeah. I... I I, I admire the Lifetime stuff musically. I, it's just not really really what I'm into. But I enjoy playing those records from time at, from time to time because they it was a great band and they definitely had a thing, mm-hmm. you know. Great and it was guitar. really like uh, the word I'm looking for. Like they really like didn't hold back. They just no. Here's our here's our new vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Know? We're gonna just put it right in your face. I think a lot of stuff came from that stuff too. Yeah. You know, not not directly, but I think that group and that whole concept had a pretty big influence on music that came after it. Completely. You know. And also, like, going back to the stuff I was saying about, I was talking to my son about, about Miles, like, changing music. It's like all these early fusion bands, like, it all stemmed from Miles' band. Yeah, very much so. You know, it's crazy to think that. Yep. You know. Yep. It is. I mean, pretty much the upper echelon of, jazz history has been Miles' bands in the past 50 years. There's, there's always some exceptions, but like so many people yeah. that we consider to be these... I, I mean, agree. You know, you think about Mahavishnu and Headhunters and Lifetime and Weather yep, Report yeah. and Return to Forever. Yep. It's like that shit's all directly yeah, I mean, coming out of Miles. No, you're, you're, you're right. You're right. It's crazy. <laughs> it is. It's a lot you know? of influence. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, now we go to 1990 or 89. Native Heart. Why'd you pick this record? This track is Extreme Measures. So I, I was trying to I was trying to find a track to play from this band that 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 would sort of sum it up for why I like it. And this was sort of I again I could have picked a bunch of others, but I really like this for two reasons. First of all, the tune is really killing, and it's Tony's tune, and the groove he's playing on it is is unique, and, and nobody can really play this kind of groove like him. So let's check it out, and then we'll talk about it. I mean, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It makes mean, me want to, like, I have all these records, and I've listened to them, but it's been a while. Yeah. I actually want to just go on a little binge with this band. Mm-hmm. His tunes were so beautiful. They were hip, but they were beautiful. And that groove, you know, it's it's kind of swinging, but it's kind of that Yeah, I always think of him when I hear people play stuff like this. I always feel like I always think about this band and because yeah. there was a lot of that yes with this band there was a lot of swing and stuff but there was a lot of stuff like that yeah and it's it's just that sound the sound that wallace and billy pierce got and mulgrew mm-hmm. it's just it's so beautiful and it just it's also a little bit of uh, just personal nostalgia but 
You know, yeah. it, it makes me think of, you know, when I was younger. Sure. But that, you know, that, that sound was kind of, I just really, I think it's great. And it, as I said before at the beginning of the, of the episode, there's nobody that could play in a traditional jazz quintet setting and play drums like that and make it work like <laughs> no. that. I mean, there's no one in the world that could do that but him. Mm-hmm. And it just makes it unique. Yeah. Know? It's such a mature, like he's in mature mode, composer mode. Yes. But he's only 44 years old. Yeah. He's a year older than I am you now, know? which is... Yeah, I'm God. way older than that, which is sad. <laughs> yeah, you are, man. Yeah. I know. <laughs> and this is related but unrelated. Um, you know, like with YouTube over the last bunch of years, and there's always new stuff popping up. That, like, did you see this video that came out? Blah, blah, blah. And a bunch of those... Um, you know, Zildjian used to put out those... Uh, oh, yeah. Those... those Thousand days, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you, you know, like you know, you, you see the video on this one. You see video on this. There's a new clip of this one. Yeah. Or Tony. Yeah. And I loved. There was a bunch of Tony footage. I loved this one that surfaced a couple of years ago. And I could be wrong. Could be ten years ago now. But when I saw it, I don't even remember how long it was. I feel like it was like a ten minute clip. It's Zildjian Day, and Tony didn't hit one cymbal. <laughs> he took like this solo, and he just played d- only drums. Didn't hit. <laughs> Not one, and I'm just wondering, like, probably is, is Armin there, just like <laughs> play the cymbals, you know, man. hit the cymbal, or some one of those guys, John and Christopher, like play the cymbals. That's incredible. Just I mean, playing rolls in the toms, all that Tony stuff. Yep. <laughs> oh, he was like composer. He was like a total like, man. Composer. He's not even yeah. thinking about these cymbals. That's really cool. Was that the big yellow DW kit? I think it was still. Was it I feel like that? it was still a Gretsch kit, but it could have been. Don't get me talking. There's about a couple of those. Don't say that. Never. I'll, I'm gonna. I'm gonna be quiet before I get in trouble. All right, we're gonna wrap up the episode with <laughs> my my third choice, which was the first Tony record I purchased. Uh, Story one? of Neptune. Oh, I, I remember buying that. I bought it brand new at me too. At wherever I went, Waxy Maxies or something. Sam Goody. Might have been Camelot. Sam. I'm just being silly. It might, it might have been or Mother's. I I we had Mother's music anyway. I only bought it because like he's a drummer, and I had that weird Miles Davis bootleg. I was like, I gotta find something else. This dude is on, yeah. <laughs> and this. So I picked the. It's a. It's a. The sweet. It's a sweet. I picked the the middle tune, creature yeah. of consciousness. Creatures, yeah, creatures of consciousness. Because compositionally, it's amazing, but also no other drummer on earth could play this piece because it's so much about what he's doing on the drums. Yeah, that's that's how a lot of that later stuff is. Nobody else can play that. It's so cool. So here it is. This is our our final tune for Tony. Creature, creatures of conscious. I remember buying that. Buying when, that I, when I hear this era, I, I like it. I really do. I always feel like I'm inside of his bass drum. Oh, I know. <laughs> so much air. It's just so <laughs> overwhelming. Yeah. You know, it's a I'm big used to, drum. I'm man. used to that little bass drum and how how awesome it sounded. I'm just like, man, I feel like I'm inside of a drum. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, might sound those ridiculous. Are big drums, man. A big 24 inch bass drum with them. Two black dots. <laughs> I talked to a, a friend of mine. Actually, sat behind that kid and and, ta- and he said to get any kind of sound, you had to like. <laughs> well, that goes back to what you said earlier that he was playing. He wasn't playing loud. Like he was playing loud then. Yes, oh, yeah. no question, <laughs> no question. <laughs> He's playing loud. 
like on the live in New York video, I mean, you can tell. Like there's moments where it's just like, woo, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he yeah. was loud. I interviewed Delfeo Marsalis years ago and asked him about playing with all these guys. And they were all, he played with them all later in their career, and it was kind of the same thing. You just got to jump on board and yeah. just go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like a train. You just get on or get yeah. off, you know. Well, we could probably do 30 more Tony Williams tracks and still scratch the surface. But um, yep. hopefully that gives everyone some things to check out. For me, a lot of these records I've heard but never, like, dissected like this, and it's a whole new experience. It I've is. got some takeaways. I've got to check out some of the Blue Note stuff more. Yeah, those ones that, like those Gracie Monk cores, the the the, the Jackie, the, um, the Andrew Hill, like like if you yeah. haven't heard those, yeah, the, out to lunch. I mean, they're incredible. They're, they're so they're, cool. They're really amazing. It's, I mean, we've listened to that so much, mm-hmm. and I find every time I put it on, it's just you get something new. Yeah, and you just can't believe that he was a kid, yeah. a kid. playing like swinging harder than anybody and. Just all this imagination. It's really inspiring, man. Very much you know. so. Yep. Well, that's it. Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode, and I hope it inspires you to dig a little bit deeper into Tony Williams' discography. Like we discussed, we skipped over most of the stuff he did in the 80s and um, most of, a bunch of the stuff he did in the 70s with his Lifetime band. So just you know, open up his discography, go start to finish. But I think you could go with the records that we picked here. They're all just incredible listens. So hopefully, if you're not a fan of Tony Williams, this might inspire you to check out some more. If you are a longtime Tony Williams fan like I am, um, hopefully this is getting you to dig out some of these records you might have put away for a while or some of the stuff that you might have missed along the way. There's just so much great music, great drumming, super inspiring to dig back into the discography of Tony Williams. So thank you for listening. Again, if you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to write a short review. That does help get this show to rank higher when people search for drums or drum podcasts or any of that sort of thing. Um, Yeah, until next time, have a great week, and we'll see you back in our regular format next Friday.